up, we thought food was only something that could be enjoyed. And really, there's nothing wrong with that. But here's the thing. So much of life happens in the kitchen. It's a place to gather, to laugh, to burn your meatloaf while the kids do their homework at the kitchen island. So if life is happening in the kitchen, that's where we want to be. It doesn't have to be so hard. We can be great dads and great cooks. This show is about us trying to figure it all out. I'm Chris. And I'm Phil. Welcome to Dad's Kitchen. I built like a little uh, garden box thing. I thought you were going to say you you built a house. I built a house. I built a tiny house for my hamster. I don't have a hamster. (laughs) I've had several hamsters, but I don't currently have a hamster. Molly probably wouldn't like it. I don't think she likes the animals very much. I don't know if she cares if I say that. She might. She might care. If so, sorry, Molly. Does she not like your dog? Not not so much. Dog shed (laughs) and they want attention. Molly feeling a little bit jealous over there. Uh, no, no. She is tired of Rue, like, nudging her constantly to be petted. Rue Ru, uh, is the type of dog that will, like, shove her nose under your hand to force you to pet her. Even if you just spent half an hour petting her. Yeah, she's a little needy. But that, that was was part of my weekend, building a tiny house for my hamster and then painting it. Actually, I painted my shed. Okay. Yeah, that in a little garden box. Patio. Patio plant box. It might not necessarily you, be Chris. a garden box. Depends on how you define a garden. It's going to be covering like a part of a privacy hedge. We want it. I think a garden is anything that grows in the ground. It can be above ground or in ground. But do privacy hedges count as gardens? You could have a reed garden or a rock garden, and those don't grow. You could have a sound garden. Hmm. I'm not sure what that does. Well. So yeah, we'll say it's a garden. <laughs> Whatever you did this weekend, sure, we'll roll with that. You're a gardener okay. now. Well, speaking of Molly, I, I just want to formally invite her on the show because what we're about to talk about absolutely terrifies me. Not so much because the the topic in and of itself terrifies me. It's just that talking about it over some sort of medium terrifies me because I just don't want to sound like an idiot. And of course, we're we're talking about croissants today. Yeah, Molly's going to just like rip you to shreds after she hears this episode, just so you know. So hopefully that alleviates some of your internal concerns. I could see her giving us our first <laughs> one-star review on Apple Podcasts. She can be ruthless, Phil. She really can be. I'm just kidding about that. Molly's a sweetheart. A sweetheart who gives one-star reviews to Dad's Kitchen. If anybody knows Molly knows that that's very much not her. Anyway, right. croissants, croissants, but croissants. Yeah, yeah. So we're, so we're talking about croissants. We're terrified about talking about croissants. But we're talking about them nonetheless. I, I guess that begs the question, Chris, have have you ever had a croissant? A croissant, a croissant. You mean the uh, French flaky pastry? Is that what you're talking about, Phil, when you say croissant? That's the one. Yeah, I've had one or two. The French flaky pastry. It, that, that is what a croissant is. But when I was growing up, and I, I'm realizing some deep interpersonal issues when I reflect that there are problems in my in my childhood. Well, the croissant came from the grocery store, and it came from the bakery, and it was typically in like some sort of like plastic cellophane container, and okay. we used them to make sandwiches. And I liked them because I was yeah. a child. I thought I thought you were going to say something about you know a Pillsbury roll that popped when you opened it. It was like one of those. We we graduated to those lumini cardboardy things. Oh, well, I was going to say that's not actually a croissant. You might maybe possibly actually call that a crescent roll. And that has its own place in the kitchen. 
pigs in a blanket. Delish. But that's not a croissant. But yeah, the, the the bakery item that you're talking about might actually be more like a croissant. Sure. And then I go to this place in Nashville called Five Daughters Bakery, and they have what's called the 100-layer donut. This is like a super famous, like artsy place in Nashville. I think they actually have several of them now, but anybody that's been to Nashville has probably been to Five Daughters. And the 100-layer donut is basically, I think, what some people might call a cronut. It's basically, a, a, you know, a croissant and a donut. And it's amazing. Like in the style of Tommy Cancel. He created the cronut. Oh, perfect. Yeah. Okay. See? And then I really decided to grow up. So Ashley and I go to France and we have we, we have this French pastry at what I believe is called a boulangerie. And it's, yeah, it's it's obviously, man, do I even need to say what it is? I feel like I would ruin it if I describe it because it's that sacred. Okay. Well, we'll just leave it as that thing that we do not describe. So I think all of us are relatively kind of sort of familiar with the rough idea of what a croissant actually is. But uh, I, I think especially here in the U.S., a good croissant is probably a little bit hard to come by. So obviously, like, this is this is a, a French pastry that we're talking about. About how far back does it go? You're right. It is hard to come by. And, and I think part of that is because America is, is all about speed. And the croissant takes a long while. It's, it's it's not necessarily so hard, but it's 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 certainly gone through some some transformations. It originally started way back in the 13th century in Austria, in Vienna, I believe. But it was actually known as the Kipferl, which is basically Chris the crescent shape of what many of us think of as a croissant. But it's kind of more like a pretzel. And I've seen pictures of this Kipferl. I've never had one, and it, it doesn't look bad. But this is apparently is a, a pretty popular bakery item in, in Austria. And in the mid-1800s, a gentleman by the name of August Zane takes this Kipferl, and he starts selling it at a bakery in Paris. And then the French were like, that's amazing. But then the French introduced this concept called laminating. And Christopher... So I don't want to. I don't want to give ourselves any more one star reviews than we deserve. So why don't why don't you help me out and describe laminating in your best way? Uh so usually laminating happens when you know you have like uh, a piece of paper that you want to preserve, and you take a couple of pieces of plastic and you put it around that piece of paper, and usually there's like a, a laminating machine that like heats it up and you know, adheres that plastic to the paper. Basically. And the French were like, you ever ever try that with your kip furl? And then good old August was like, that sounds like something that's not been invented yet. I think we're like 100 years too soon. And then like Bill Uh, and Ted got involved and... That's when Soundgarden came in. Nice pull. Anyway, okay, so obviously laminating does not involve... That was pretty bad. Uh, Lamination. Bad enough to keep it. Dough. Lamination of dough. When you have a flaky pastry, odds are like it's it's one of a couple of things. And a laminated dough is one of those. Uh, so basically with lamination, you are taking a, a dough, like kind of like a, a basic pastry dough, and you are also taking a block of butter and you're flattening that block of butter out 
and setting it on top of this rolled out sheet of dough. And then you start folding it and it's a little bit of a trifold. And after you do that, you kind of roll it out and then you do it a couple more times and you end up with something that has all of these alternating layers of dough and butter and dough and butter and dough and butter. And basically that butter is not only adding like really awesome flavor to your you know, end product, but it's also stopping those dough layers from like adhering to each other. So there's space, there's a gap and thus your layers. So that's beautiful. That's the type of lamination we're talking about. It can be a pretty like intense process. It can be kind of technical in a larger bakery. They actually have a piece of machinery that they use for it called a sheeter. And it has like a conveyor belt and some almost like rolling pins that it presses it through. And so it kind of takes care of a lot of that hard process for you. But it's definitely something that you can, in kind of small batches, figure out in your own home kitchen as well. And should, and should figure out in your home as well. Well, thank you, Chris. That was poetic. You might say it was rather Charles Dickensy of you. I don't know if I would. Nope. <laughs> Well, Charles Dickens actually helped popularize this thing because he apparently would go to Paris often and he would he would try this new thing called the croissant, uh, which, by the way, is what the French named the Frenchy version of the Kipferl. And I don't know if like we have we do have some French listeners, I noticed recently, which is kind of cool. So if you're listening from France, help me out. I, I think it actually comes from like the crescent shape. Of the Kipferl, I think I think is where they named it. Anyways, I think that's up for debate. Like I, when, when I was researching it, there's there's some debate on that. So, anyways, I, I thought you were going to apologize for our uh, Americanization of their pastry name. Sorry, France. So Charles Dickens loved these things, and he started writing about them in his periodicals. And if if not for that, Chris, we may not even know what they are. So. Thanks, Chuck. Chuck and D. Chuck and D. Right. And so, Chris, this this <laughs> process that you're describing, the laminating, is really, it's, I've heard it described as a full puff versus a rough puff pastry. And there's a pretty significant difference. Um, uh, yeah. One is easy, one is not. Kind yeah. Of. <laughs> the rough puff is easier. <laughs> right. So then, so then the full puff pastry is obviously everything you just described. And both of them serve a very important purpose in our lives, especially if you live in Nashville. Because in Nashville, this 100-layer donut or the cronut is basically laminating dough and then making a donut out of it. And it is, seriously, Chris, delicious. Okay. I'm going to have to take your word for it since I have not had it. Do you just want to go to Nashville real quick? My brother lives there. Maybe. He'd probably crash, crash on his couch. I, I heard newborns okay. really like Nashville, just in case. You know. <laughs> just in case. Speaking of newborns, you didn't ask me what I'm drinking this evening. This is a this is a scotch and water. Hold the scotch. Got to stay sharp, Chris, with the newborn. Okay, so Phil, you obviously very much like this Cronut-like uh, creation, which is more or less a layered donut. Where are you going from there? Yeah, well, it's okay. The French are known for taking very simple ingredients and making them into masterpieces. And they did that with this Kipferl. So it, it's it's pretty basic ingredients. Uh, you've got some butter, you've got some flour, you've got a kitchen scale. We've been over this, Chris. Got to have a kitchen scale. You've got some sure. yeast, salt, water, and milk. And there's some variations. You can throw some sugar in there if you want something along the sweeter side. You don't have to. I think the traditional croissant definitely doesn't use sugar. 
and you, you you basically just like mix it together. But here's the thing. You've got to keep it cold. And the best way to keep your dough cold is after you've formed it into a ball, throw it in the refrigerator for like a day or just overnight, just overnight. But that's like pretty, pretty critical because if you want these layers like you you mentioned one of the one of the perks to having having this laminating process is that the dough like you'll have some defined space between them and the only way you're going to do that is if that butter doesn't melt on you because if it melts on you then it's not going to taste bad it's probably going to be pretty delicious but it's not going to be layered yeah that's definitely like a, a hallmark of a lot of baked goods actually is the air the the yeah. structure of the crumb like what what does that look like and yeah 100 percent in a croissant like you you have this kind of web of of layers it doesn't have a bread like texture even if you're used to like good bread that has a lot of air gaps in it it's even different than that there's space and air and volume for sure. So you take your dough, you throw that in the refrigerator overnight, and you you kind of start this first butter book like you described and you're going to you're going to form this into this sheet-like structure and you're also going to throw that in the refrigerator overnight because again, we want to keep it cold. And Chris, the French actually have a name for this butter book. Sorry France, I'm going to butcher this. Barrage? Well, I think they call it the barrage because when it's in the refrigerator it's cold and it's like burr. Yeah. One stars, baby. One star reviews. I'm sorry. I don't know where that came from. So then suddenly it's day two. Take everything out of their fridge and then you can you can build your your layers. And I don't know. I feel like you already described what that whole thing is. And then what else do you do? You cut it, you shape it, you proof it, you bake it, and you celebrate the fact that you just made a croissant. See, it's not that hard. It's not that hard. You can do sure. the entire thing in as long as it takes to record this podcast. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Yeah, I think I think it it is one of those things, as we were talking about before, Phil, that the the basics of are relatively easy to comprehend. But there's a lot of technique that goes into it. And I think technique plays a, a large role in the quality of the finished product because, you know, that lamination process can be tricky. There are a lot of things that can go wrong. And then the proofing process can provide a lot of those same challenges. Uh, so I like, like a huge part of what makes a croissant a croissant comes from the technique. But then a lot of the flavor honestly comes from the ingredients and the quality of those ingredients. Maybe, maybe, most specifically butter. And that might be why it's kind of hard to get a really good croissant here in the U.S. Honestly, our butter's just not exactly the same. Using a grass-fed I mean, you don't you don't feed the butter grass, but you I could. think our listeners are smart enough to know what I'm talking about. Because the grass fed butter is it's 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 almost like it's more pliable. It kind of dents in. Like oftentimes, if you're going to buy like a European butter from the grocery store, it's dented, and I think that's okay. It's showing that it's like it's able to turn into some shapes. And if you're going to laminate some paper, you need some shapes. Yeah, I think probably the biggest thing to look for in butter is like a high fat butter. Right. And, and that's probably one of the things that's a, a little bit different. And so if you are wanting to make croissants, even though it might be a little bit pricier, that European style that you mentioned, whether that's like an unsalted Kerrygold or something else, the fat content in that butter is going to be a lot higher and so much of the, the actual taste of a croissant comes from, from that butter element. So, you know, it might be worth splurging a little bit if you're kind of making these for a special occasion and uh, spring for some, some European-style high-fat content butter. 
Like a 50th episode? No. It's a pretty special occasion. No, that's that's lame. Yes, me. We don't we we don't like round numbers here. Fifties or hundreds or those are all dumb. Surely the dumbest. Terrible. Anyway, okay, can you can you make a croissant with? Oh, all right. Step one: America screws up on croissants because we use the wrong type of butter. Do you think we're screwing up on croissants because we're not even using butter? But are like, you suggesting people use margarine? Yeah, to like make margarine croissants? for a croissant. I don't know if I see that being a widespread thing. I hope that's not a widespread thing. I guarantee you. Because that would be ridiculous if that was a widespread. That's why I'm saying a widespread thing. Maybe it's been done, but I really hope and pray that that is not common. What about Crisco? I'm not acknowledging that. Not even going to dignify that with a response. Sorry, Phil. (laughs) You can go hang out on my patio with my rock garden. I'm grateful for that. Oh, sound garden. (laughs) And then I think like, you know, the flower is obviously going to play a significant role as well. I think like you can use a, a pretty basic flour, but as you're refining the process, the thing about croissants is like, you know, don't just make it once and then, you know, do a podcast on it like me. Make it a lot of times. I'm kidding. I've actually, I've made it more than once, Chris. I've made it more than once and I've watched videos on it more than once. So I think I'm an expert. Yeah. The two, the two times that you've made it make you an expert for sure. But yeah, definitely like when you have something that has so few ingredients, each one plays a lot more significant role in the overall flavor and taste quality of your finished product. So yeah, butter plays a huge role, but so does flour. The point is just try different things. Try it, try it with an all-purpose flour. Try it with a bread flour. Try it with a combination of the two. I've, I've seen that that is often optimal, you know, to kind of achieve the best results, to use some sort of hybrid between the two. Yeah, you can use some the, rose flowers and some daffodil flowers, some daisy flowers. Try them. Phil, you don't know if they're good because you haven't tried them. I'm not dignifying that with her response. <laughs> some corn flowers. <laughs> Have you ever had corn flour? Have you ever had corn flowers? You ever eaten them? Like eaten a corn flour, like the flour made from ground up corn. No, I mean like the actual flour of a corn, a corn. So flour matters. So I think I think the point that we're trying to make here, Chris, <laughs> please tell me, the is point that we're croissants making. can be challenging. They they can require a lot, but gosh, we're fifty episodes into this. We're all professionals now. We can try. We can. We can step out on a ledge and we can we can try it. Right, Chris? I'm going to step out on that limb with you, Phil. Did I say ledge? Yeah. yeah I meant to say limb. That's fine. If Don't you want to jump. on a ledge. If you want to jump, Don't. that's... <laughs> yeah, you'd like that, wouldn't you? Goodness. This has gone off the rails. There's some other things you can do with laminated dough once you've made it. Obviously, like very basic puff pastry is made from laminated dough. Chocolate babka I've seen made with laminated dough. Uh, you could do a souffle with it. You could make uh, it Danish. You know what else you can make? Chocolate croissants. And those are freaking delicious. Yes. Yes. That's all I got to say. So are almond croissants. Have you ever had a good almond croissant with like an almond paste uh, in the Yeah, but I, I don't know if I'd pass up a chocolate croissant for that. Sorry. That's fine. We all have uh, our preferences what else, on our ledges. What else is made with laminated dough? Morning buns? You guys make a lot of morning buns, right? Is that made with laminated dough? My wife has made a few of those over the years. And yes, it is. Those things are good. Those are seriously good. Yeah. So in case you're not familiar, it is more or less a combination of a cinnamon roll and a croissant. Yeah. 
pretty amazing. The way Molly makes it is with like an orange zest. And so it's it's not like overly heavy like a cinnamon roll. It's bright and amazing and wonderful. Those are fantastic. We could just have those for our 50th episode celebration. I think we should demand those for our celebration. We could talk about croissants, but we could actually have morning buns. I'm okay with that. I would pick those over a croissant right now. Cool. Ship them on over, Christopher. Got to find them first. So, Phil, you have mentioned like once, maybe once, maybe more than once, I don't know. The fact that this is our 50th episode, and it's kind of hard to believe that we have come this far, that we've A, stuck with it this long. (laughs) Also that, you know. I can't believe you've stuck with me this long. Also that uh, a couple of people are still listening 50 episodes in. So I think that's super cool. So thank you, everybody that is sticking with us, I guess. And thanks, Phil. And, you know, I just want to give one major thank you, one major kudos, one major shout out, all the things all the major things, to probably our biggest fan, and that's Chris Lilly. I can't thank you enough for supporting the show, and um, and now you're required to listen to the next 50 episodes. So, sorry, man, but also, I'm not sorry. Sorry.